But today, today is going to be a little bit of a different story. We're going to take a detour from what we usually do here and talk some spaceflight history. What you heard in our introduction was the sound of the Apollo Saturn 501 launch vehicle, the first Saturn V to light up the skies around central Florida, waking up residents of the Space Coast at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on November 9, 1967. Incidentally, that's the same date that this episode will drop, November 9th, 2019. It was the first time that an Apollo Saturn V would take to the skies, becoming the largest launch vehicle ever to do so. It was also the first launch from NASA's new Kennedy Space Center and its new launch complex 39. Now, all previous launches had occurred past the NASA gates at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station right next door. It was also the first launch in the Apollo program after the tragic events of January 27, 1967 and the loss of the Apollo 1 crew, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee, who were all killed as a result of a flash fire on board their Apollo spacecraft during a plugs-out test. Originally set for a launch attempt in late 1966, development issues pushed this flight back to April of 1967. The payload for the Apollo Saturn 501 flight was the Apollo Command Service Module Spacecraft No. 17. It had arrived at the Cape on Christmas Eve of 1966. Now, after the fire on board Command Module 12 that had cost the life of all of the Apollo 1 crew, the Command Module 17, which was already mated to the Saturn V, was the subject of an intense inspection. That intense inspection uncovered 1,047 manufacturing defects, including wiring that was not cleaning, that was really, really below standard. It wasn't cleanly bundled, and with some electrical wiring showing evidence of wear. A short circuit, the possible cause of the Apollo 1 disaster, was just a matter of when, not if. So, the deficiencies once discovered required the spacecraft to be demated or removed from the Saturn V for an additional four months of repair time before being remated to the spacecraft in June of 1967. Apollo 4 was then rolled out to the launch pad in late August, some eight months behind the planned launch date. The mission marked NASA's first use of all-up testing a philosophy which was used successfully for rapid development on military missile programs. It was previously thought that the incremental approach of testing each one of the Saturn V's set launch segments, meaning each stage, would be the best conservative approach. But with the 1969 goal of landing humans on the moon still way in the di- looming in the headlights, 
a new way of testing was required. And the OLAP method of testing every element of the mission in a flight-worthy configuration under real flight conditions was used in an effort to dramatically reduce development time. Now, had this approach not been adopted, the U.S. lunar landing attempt may have been pushed back all the way to the early 1970s. The mission was to carry the unpiloted Command Service Module Number 17 spacecraft into Earth orbit for a short three-orbit flight lasting eight hours, 36 minutes, and 59 seconds. The mission objectives for Apollo 4 test the structural integrity of both the launch vehicle and the spacecraft, launch loads and dynamic characteristics, launch vehicle and spacecraft subsystems, and of course staging. Test any emergency detection systems on the launch vehicle and the spacecraft. Test the heat shield on the Apollo command module and any thermal seals on both vehicles. Test mission support facilities and operational techniques and overall reentry operations. On board the command module was a camera to record what it looked like outside the windows of the Apollo ship during key moments of the mission, including reentry. Now, what's to follow is an auditory gem that might get lost in the shuffle of history. This is the post-launch press conference for the Apollo 4 mission. The only thing I did was to edit for long pauses, and there were, and there were many. Uh, there were some communications issues between the Kennedy Space Center and the, uh, the manned spaceflight center outside Houston, Texas, what is now called the Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center. You'll hear the giants of the early spaceflight effort here in the United States. People that, to some members of our audience, symbolize much, with names like George Mueller, George Lowe, Kurt Debus, and Werner von Braun. You'll also hear some startling statistics and a little bit of a hint of the future with one question that came uh, from one of the members of the press on spacecraft reusability. And I believe it was, it was given to uh, Werner von Braun, and von Braun had a very interesting uh, answer to that. So watch for that. It comes toward the tail end. So now... Here it is in the mom a moment of history and a moment that paved the way for humanity's reach for the moon for the very first time. All right. After the uh, introduction of that rocket that you saw this morning, I think maybe all introductions are superfluous, but uh, obviously they're not. Some things need to be said. And the first speaker in Houston this afternoon will be Dr. Robert Siemens, the Deputy Administrator of NASA. Dr. Seamus. Well, let me also urge that today has been the result of a hard-driving, disciplined effort that's been carried out for an extended period of time. The engine development was initiated in 59 and 60. The engine the first stage of the Saturn V, the F-1 engine, started first, and the J-2 engine was started a short time later, both in President Eisenhower's administration. Then in 1961, after a careful review of the, uh, this country's uh, position in space, uh, including a careful uh, look at the Soviet program, President Kennedy, on recommendation from then Vice President Johnson, recommended a major acceleration in our space activity. This led rather immediately to uh, approval by the Congress and the initiation of programs to uh, develop a major new launch vehicle capability and to initiate development of an advanced manned spacecraft that would have the capability to uh, maneuver, rendezvous, dock, and carry out uh, missions out to and including uh, landing on the moon and return. At the press conference yesterday, we stated that today we'd be flight testing the Saturn V 
that is this new launch vehicle, for the first time. We said there would be flight testing the Apollo reentry at lunar return speeds for the first time. We said that we would be live testing our launch and operational facilities for the first time. And we'd be testing a development and operational team in its first major mission for the first time. These goals, as you know, have all been accomplished. Today, we placed in near-Earth orbit over 280,000 pounds. To give this some perspective, this is three times the weight of the six manned Mercury capsules and the nine Gemini capsules that have been flown by our astronauts. In response to questions yesterday, we said that we would not be completely satisfied with Apollo 4, that is today's mission, unless we went through the planned mission all the way to spacecraft recovery. I say the mission is successful because the Bennington is now alongside the capsule, and we can be sure that it will be aboard in 30 or 40 minutes. We know that we have obtained a great deal of important data. Just the conduct of the mission itself gives us very valuable information. We have the spacecraft to inspect. We have all of our telemetered information and photographic data in the ground. We've recovered two cassettes that were taking movies from the S2 stage so that we will have a great deal of information to analyze and to evaluate. And we know that this is extremely important for the upcoming succession of flights that will lead to and certainly include the lunar landing. I believe that more important even than this is a clear indication that our team of government, industry, and university people is not found wanting and that we do have the capacity in this country to be preeminent, not only in space, but in all human endeavor involving science and technology. The power of the Saturn V is exceeded many fold by our power in this country to accomplish the near impossible for the good of all mankind. Dr. Miller. I'd like to say just a few words, a few words of, of my pleasure, my pride, happiness for the results of the work of the 300,000 people who at one time or another have contributed to the Apollo program uh, and to the success that we have enjoyed today. Uh, a friend of mine, Bob Holt, who many of you know, uh, has accused me of failing in times past to, to convey any idea of the magnitude task that uh, was uh, exemplified by the flight that we, uh, we pulled off today. Uh, Bob's analogy to the, of the Apollo program is one that says uh, it's uh, the combination of three of the greatest projects that man has ever undertaken in the past. The combination of the building of the pyramids, uh, the creation of our nuclear weapon systems, uh, and uh, the development of the supersonic transport all rolled into one. Now, that may be a bit of a superlative, but to give you some idea uh, of the magnitude of, the, of just one aspect of today's flight, you know, there were over 125 computers which were programmed to talk to one another uh, in order to carry out the communications uh, that were used to identify and understand what was happening to the launch vehicle and the spacecraft as it traveled, traveled around the world. And that represents one of the largest programming jobs ever undertaken in this nation. I, I was groping for some measure of the magnitude of the particular flight today, uh, and I may be getting carried away, but in, in a very real sense, the complexity of this flight is equivalent to taking the first nuclear submarine 
instrumenting it so that it could be driven out by itself uh, across the ocean uh, to a target point and then returned. Uh, and uh, doing, checking it out on the ways at the, at the factory and then launching it and uh, letting it go forth and return, uh, all without uh, human intervention, at least without anything other than sending commands to it. I do think that this was a tremendous achievement, uh, and I again say I'm proud of all of the people uh, that have been involved in the program. Bill Snyder? Uh, I can't add much to what was said there. As a matter of fact, I don't think I can add anything. I would like to say one thing that I've been wanting to say for all the past five years, in all sincerity, I'd like to thank the American people for their faith in our space program, which has given me the opportunity to work for the people I've been working for. Thank you. Charles Houston? Well, I'd first like to congratulate <coughs> the NASA government team for this very significant, very tremendous success today. I can say that and speak for the DOD that we certainly are happy to be a part of it. And uh, in respect to today's mission, uh, we were operating with a new team in a lot of respects. Uh, I'd like to mention Admiral Christopher's name, who was the commander of the task group in the Atlantic. Admiral Lynch's name, who was the commander of the task group in the Pacific. And uh, it was very gratifying to work with them and see their, their uh, uh, status of preparations and responsiveness to the possible problems, which fortunately we didn't have to carry out. But it was, it, there were a few significant things in today's mission which portend things for the future. Today in the, in the network we had the first Apollo ship, the Apollo ship for the first time, the Vanguard. There will be five of these eventually. It performed its job in, in very worthwhile fashion, and we're quite proud of that. We also had the five Apollo aircraft up, five of the eight that we will have eventually, and in all respects, they performed their job. Um, on launch, one of our jobs was to attempt to photograph, observe, and recover the S-1C stage. We did observe it did photograph it, I understand, but of course it broke up and we recovered some of the debris. Another job was to recover the photo cassettes, which we did recover intact, and as far as I know, they are back at the Cape right now. The rest of the mission was complicated in, in regards to the recovery in that we had a large number of contingency abort, abort plans that we were ready to carry out, which gave us some very significant training and preparation for the future. Uh, the only thing significant we had to worry about particularly was the weather in the primary recovery area and west 900 miles where the destroyer of the carpenter was. In this case, we had a front along the flight, along the, the path, which, which we uh, looked at very closely last night and this morning and decided to continue the aiming point after discussions with and Mr. Snyder here. Fortunately, why came right down within 5.9 miles of the carrier. That's the figure I heard. And uh, it was a good decision, I believe. So again, it was a, it was a very uh, significant mission. Very well done. We're happy to be part of it. And we look forward to greater things in the future. Thank you, General. Our next speaker is Mr. Christopher Columbus Kraft, the K. Director of Flight Operations. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I'm very pleased to uh, say that I'm very proud of the team that we had in the control center today, uh, run by Mr. Lunny. Very proud of those boys. I think they did a wonderful job. The uh, people at the Goddard Space Flight Center uh, are not represented here, but I think we ought to point out that. Uh, Today was a big day for them in bringing up the new Apollo network. It was uh, quite a job to get that system ready for this flight. 
I think they did a tremendous job and uh, certainly ought to be congratulated. I think the whole Apollo team and the Apollo hardware uh, matured today, and uh, I'm proud to see our, our boys a part of it. Mr. Lane. Well, Chris has mentioned all the elements of the team that we work with, and I, I also was uh, delighted with the way that the team uh, acted and conducted themselves throughout the, uh, the test today and the planning and the uh, pre-launch operations that we've been engaged in for the last several months. Speaking for, I'm sure, all the members of the uh, team in the control center and all the people around the world, uh, I think all we have to say was a great thrill to be a part of this operation, and it's uh, wonderful to see the mission itself be so successful. Speaking as an old man of 30 years old, that's quite a statement, Mr. Lane. Uh, I understand Dr. Von Braun may want to reserve his comments till the other center directors are there later. Uh, have they arrived yet? Well, if not, then uh, we'll proceed with questions in Houston. sure that uh, having carried out such a successful mission, uh, this will give the team confidence uh, for future missions, uh, and it will give those who uh, must provide the resources uh, the country at large, uh, Congress, I'm certain, uh, confidence they are providing uh, uh, resources for a team that is going to make uh, maximum use uh, of the facilities and of the, uh, of the people involved to achieve maximum benefit, not only for the lunar landing, as important as that is, but for a variety of short and long-term benefits. Uh, how close common uh, trajectories and burns to your nanos. Do you have any, any figures you can use at all? I, did, I didn't bring any papers over, but uh, as far as we could tell, everything was just about on the money. We inserted into an orbit which was probably within two miles of what we were shooting for. Uh, second burn was a second Saturn IV, uh, S4B burn, was very, very close to what we aimed for. We followed that up with a 16-second burn with the service propulsion system. The planned burn was 15 seconds, as you know, very, very close to our desired cutoff conditions. The second, the, the second service propulsion burn, the last one of the day, I think the accuracy of it can be attested by the landing point, which was about 18,000 yards from the carrier. So uh, we couldn't have been happier with the accuracy of the systems and the way the vehicles performed during the major maneuvers. is, was the reentry sequence normal? In a word, yes. Uh, uh, we played the tapes back from Guam, the station at Guam, and we were able to verify the last function that we were not able to verify in real time, that is, the separation was normal. Uh, from there on in, we had contact uh, with, with the Orion aircraft, that is, the Orion aircraft had contact with the spacecraft at about the time we expected them to, as uh, we went through the two blackouts, uh, and the, the reports were about on time, as we could tell. And then the final proof of the pudding, of course, was a visual uh, contact with the spacecraft on chutes off the bridge of the Bennington. But you're so, satisfied that somebody did see the events going into the blackout and coming out? Yes, we saw, we saw the events through separation. Uh, the, the next event that we really have a very good hack on is... Uh, the landing time, which seemed to me to be within about 15 seconds of what we predicted before we went into the uh, before we went into the sequence, uh, so I, I can only judge at this time that it was as normal as we could get. Uh, Arch Snyder's 
I would have liked to have seen the man in the loop uh, the whole way, and the sooner we can move into that, the happier uh, we'll be in the program, and the uh, more safely and the more uh, successfully I think we'll be able to operate the missions. However, uh, as the equipment was designed for the flight, uh, uh, as near as we could tell, it uh, worked essentially flawlessly throughout the flight. Uh, as you know, this was a long flight to fly unmanned. We had to retain a lot of accuracy in our systems. Uh, we also had to go through uh, several fairly complex maneuvers, both with the launch vehicle and the spacecraft. All of those maneuvers were performed uh, very successfully. Uh, and I guess today I'm very happy with the electronic pilot we have. Uh, Dick Lewis, Chicago Sun-Times. Also to Glenn Lunney, uh, is, uh, uh, would you... Uh, Perhaps you expressed yourself on this earlier, and I didn't catch it. But would you have preferred, would you have felt easier if there had been a crew in the cockpit today? Well, uh, I have to qualify that answer because, as you know, the first this was the first time we were flying the Saturn V launch vehicle, and our uh, our attitude has been that we would want to fly at least two of those vehicles in order to assure ourselves that the uh, launch vehicle. Uh, has been properly manned rated. So in that regard, uh, first time out, we are going to fly them unmanned. But when we move on, we'll be very glad to see the pilots back in the loop. Julie Devine, Metalworking News. Mr. Lunny, uh, what was the highest heat experienced by the heat shield, and can you comment on any per, uh, performance parameters about the heat shield? Uh, the, the best, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. The best I have is that the conditions that we... Uh, arrived at today were a little bit higher than we had planned for by just a few uh, uh, percentage points in both the total heat and the total heating rate. However, uh, this may not end up being true when we actually get the spacecraft back, uh, establish what the lift-to-drag ratio of the configuration was, and see what the reentry trajectory was that we actually flew. So preliminary indications are that we flew it a little bit hotter than we had planned by perhaps a percentage point, uh, but I think all the numbers are not in on that. All the number on that. Uh, our nominal mission would have given us a heating rate of 594 BTU per square foot per second. As Lonnie pointed out, based on trajectory data, we may have hit a little higher than that, which would, would have been a more severe test of the heat shield, but we won't know this until we analyze the data. On a nominal return from the moon, our heating rate will be about two-thirds of that number. So it has been a severe test of the heat shield. Ed DeLong, United Press. Chris, do you have any figures yet on the heat encountered inside the command module? actually have no uh, telemetry data that uh, we've had a chance to look at that would indicate what the temperature inside the command module was. Uh, did you have any problems with telemetry or communications? There was some indication there might have been a telemetry problem earlier today. We had, uh, we had what we think were telemetry problems a couple of times. Uh, however, uh, as you may know, we were flying two new systems on the launch vehicle in orbit. We were flying the uh, S-band system, which we will use for the lunar uh, vehicle. We were also flying the S-band frequency system, which we have on the spacecraft, the uh, unified S-band system, which carries all of the spacecraft data. We occasionally had what we assume to be at this time uh, uh, antenna pattern problems, which just mean that the attitude of the vehicle was such that the on the vehicle and the ground antennas weren't properly aligned. Uh, however, uh, we kind of expected that we would have some of those kind of problems during the course of the day. Uh, and I think when we get a chance to look at all the data, we'll have a better handle on what to expect next time and what we can do to improve what happened here today. Uh, now the other center directors have joined the conference at the Cape, and we want to switch down there for a statement from Dr. Von Braun. All I can see is that I'm highly glad 
finishing exactly on time to performance of every single stage, particularly the restart in orbit, which was something experimental, uh, went off uh, quite successfully. Um, as Dr. Siemens pointed out yesterday, we wouldn't uh, consider this launch uh, complete success unless we had the spacecraft safely recovered on the of the carrier now looks like uh, this is just only a few minutes away. I'm very happy and somewhat tired, but I think we have uh, achieved three main uh, goals the last years and months and days and hours. Uh, one is a new concept of the facility has been brought in, has been constructed, and exercised and moved to operate well. Uh, past or post-launch inspection uh, indicates that we have only minor uh, refurbishment to do. We are very satisfied with that. Second, we had a very uh, almost monumental task in getting together a group of people. Some, some are quite new in this business. We had to build up a team that would together as if it was composed of people who had done it many, many times. To this, our, our countdown demonstration work has helped us, uh, us uh, immensely. In this uh, context, I believe I can say that it's one of the most complicated, uh, interlaced, uh, complex launch countdowns that uh, are in existence. That one, of course, is the uh, exercising of the hardware proper that is contributory to the uh, launch vehicle and spacecraft. And I believe this also has worked well. I'm very happy and proud to be permitted to be part of this team. And I'm, uh, I, I think that demonstration has been made that not only has been uh, brought online a new launch vehicle of tremendous power, but also a capability that this nation to maintain its uh, position in space. Uh, well, I'm still very proud and happy on this day. Uh, I think the entire uh, group of people that have worked this, uh, all these systems have reason to be proud and happy, too. I think uh, both the spacecraft and the launch vehicle uh, performed very well indeed. I, I believe it's perhaps easier for many of us to understand uh, the launch vehicle performance. It's, uh, we can watch it, at least a good part of it. It's tremendous, and I certainly uh, was as impressed as, as, as any. I think in some ways the, the uh, spacecraft probed just as deeply into the unknown today as the launch vehicle did into the technology of large rockets. Uh, first, of course, the, the, uh, this is the first time that a, a full-scale vehicle has, has really re-entered the Earth's atmosphere at this, this, at this speed. And, of course, we, don't, we won't know until we see the data and have a look at the ablation material how well it did. But it was at least well enough to come back intact. We know that. Things that will be of interest. We had radiation monitoring aboard this craft as it went on up through to the apogee of over 10,000 miles. It will show what the radiation levels are inside the cabin. At least we hope they, they will if all of the instruments work. There was also on board a camera which will show an astronaut's view of the Earth from a color uh, camera, which we hope works. I think that other things that, that aren't so obvious right now, but which will be very, very important to us, things like the knowledge of the loads imposed on, on the vehicles, the, the vibration levels, all these things we can now put in the realm of measurement much more completely than, uh, and, and much more it's much more satisfactory than having in the realm of estimates and calculations. All in all, I think that it's been a, a, a very a good step forward and, and uh, 
anything today that would have endangered the crew. But I think we have to stand behind the answer that Len Lunny gave earlier, namely that we we want to fly this flight and, and another one before we would consider putting a man on the, the new launch vehicle. I would like to add something to this answer. Uh, there's some indication, but let me emphasize would not have endangered the crew, but we have uh, an indication that there was one irregularity in all likelihood uh, in the so-called propulsive venting system of the S4B stage, which is the Southern V's third stage. Um, in order to keep the liquid hydrogen oriented on the backside of the tank, we uh, vent the hydrogen out in such a way that it exerts a few pounds of thrust as it uh, squirts out of the vent valve to keep it a very, very slight uh, acceleration of the vehicle, just to keep the liquid hydrogen settled at the bottom. If you didn't do this, you could lose substantial amounts of liquid hydrogen through the vent valve and uh, go into your second burn with an empty tank. For this reason, we have this propulsive vent feature. We have an indication that the vent valve admitting hydrogen to this propulsive vent did not close when we started to repressurize the S4B stage for the second burn. However, there is enough gas available to override this relatively small amount of leakage that goes out through the vent. This, however, required a uh, an intelligent decision on the part of uh, uh, the man controlling this operation on the ground. They knew that the valve hadn't closed, and had he started to pressurize the tank, say, five minutes or ten minutes before starting up the engine, he would have lost so much pressurizing helium for this open valve that he could never build up enough tank pressure. So he waited... Uh, prudently until about a minute before the restart was due and then uh, pressurized at a pretty rapid rate and uh, this brought the engine uh, close enough into the start box for the J2 engine to restart up and the moment the engine starts running it produces enough uh, evaporated hydrogen to build the tank pressure up even to uh, It looks like this was a kind of a marginal situation. There would have been a chance of it had it not worked out so well and had it not been done so intelligently that we may not have been able to restart the J2 engine uh, after two uh, orbits. Uh, what I said here requires re-verification as we look at the data, but this is the best information available at this moment. Dr. von Braun, this question was asked earlier this morning, but I would like to know your explanation of what we're going to do on 502 besides flying the complete unified uh, patch. In short, what are you doing? You are you just going to retest everything just as you've done today? What is the real purpose besides the hatch for the next flight? And would you predict it? And also, we would all like to hear your real comments at the moment of liftoff. Just what did you say? <laughs> My feeling on liftoff was, go, baby, go. <laughs> all I can tell you, this is a very, very long vehicle, and it takes 10 seconds to clear the tower. These were by far the longest 10 minutes, the 10 seconds I've ever lived through. <laughs> I watched it through binoculars. Launch 502 is concerned, I thought we ought to distinguish between the necessity of repeating a launch vehicle test and certain changes in the flight profile for the spacecraft as it re-enters. As far as the launch vehicle is concerned, I think you can put it down uh, in very simple terms, two successes in a row make you a lot more confident than one. And uh, you have to draw a line somewhere how many flights you would like to have under the belt. Uh, 
or you put a man on these things, we decided that uh, two or maybe three may be good, uh, uh, a good number. Now, as far as the spacecraft is concerned, I would suggest uh, I pass the question on to Mr. Lowe. Spacecraft 20 uh, for the next flight, which incidentally was formally accepted in North America yesterday, uh, is essentially identical to spacecraft 17, which was on this flight. The only difference is that whereas the new outward opening hatch was only marked up on spacecraft 17, the actual hatch will fly on 20. Uh, I think I should say, though, that uh, we gotten enough data on the hatch just from the marked up hatch to qualify that system for manned flight at lunar entry speeds as well without the spacecraft 20 flight. But the only difference in the spacecraft is the hatch. What was the uh, re-entry velocity? As best as I can tell you at this time, it was just a little bit greater than the 36,333 feet per second that we had planned for. Perhaps another 100 or 200 feet per second is all I can estimate here. Uh, Dave Zinman from Newsday. Uh, can you tell me when the next Apollo flight uh, will go and what the major event will be? The next uh, Apollo flight will be Apollo 5. That's uh, the Lem 1 unmanned on the launch vehicle 204. The launch vehicle is on the pad. The uh, uh, lunar module is in the Checkout building. Uh, the the schedule will call for the LEM to be uh, installed on the launch vehicle. The latter part of this month. We expect to fly it shortly after the first of the year. Dick Hill from the Springfield Museum of Science and Springfield Union. Uh, perhaps this has been asked before, but what is the major thing to which you attribute the spectacular success of the intensely complex mission? And how would you compare the testing of this system with the testing of, let's say, the Atlas uh, six or seven years ago, and how far we've come down the road and what this means for uh, manned, manned flight per se? I guess I'm the only one here except for George Lowe that was involved in the Mercury Atlas, if you're talking about the Mercury Atlas. And it is true that this system here today is, if you measure it in terms of energy, is... Uh, 20 or 30 times greater energy than was involved in the in the Mercury Atlas, and I think the work and the complexity and so on tends to go in the same ratio as the energy. So it was, I think, a, a tremendous achievement of organizing something as complex as this. You can remember we could just about barely get a Mercury Atlas off because it was so complex in its day. And, and one of the first things that, that I thought of when we were given the task of, of uh, a manned lunar landing was, gee, we're going to have to get a whole lot better technology in order to be able to handle systems that are the order 20 to 30 times complex. And I think the performance here today shows that it is possible to do it. And uh, uh, although it isn't easy, and, and I think we all uh, will we'll benefit by a lot more practice in, in, in missions of this type. And maybe Sam would like to, uh, General Phillips would like to add something to this, but it has been a, a, a big problem, and, it will, and things this complex will continue to be a problem to get off. I don't think I can really add anything to it. I think the, uh, the, the demonstration of, of Apollo 4 today was a tremendous technological
and we do not have an estimate right now, but they are working the problem. I know the people at the Cape are at least eight hours more tired than we are here in Houston, so we're going to adjourn at this point. Thank you very much. Indeed, later on, uh, CM number 17 was indeed recovered and uh, recovered successfully. And uh, also, um, all mission objectives were deemed to be achieved. Uh, CM-17 is now, I believe, the property of the Smithsonian Institution. I don't know whether, whether or not it's officially on display right now. There are things that have changed over there, and I haven't been over to the uh, National Air and Space Museum in a while, but it is indeed the, the official property of, uh, of the, uh, the Air and Space Museum. Just as an aside, uh, I was doing some prep work for uh, recording this, uh, this episode, and I wanted to learn more about the Apollo 4 mission, which I guess really the, the best analog I can come up with for this particular flight would be um, the, uh, the Orion EFT-1 mission that occurred in December of 2014. Um, but I discovered something interesting. It was a a video that was prepared most likely for NASA uh, at uh, somewhere out there on YouTube. Um, it was not the um, actual uh, archival video that NASA had done. It was another NASA video that had been done or, or been elected to be done um, for the mission, but it kind of surrounded a, uh, a tour of the Kennedy Space Center and uh, you were basically on the tour bus uh, taking a tour of the new uh, Kennedy Space Center and uh, the narrator who was your tour bus guide um, was going ahead and pointing out uh, various things around you and inviting you to take photographs when you can and um, one of the, the things that we did drive by in our little little video tour was the actual uh, Apollo Saturn V that was poised and ready to go to take Apollo 4 onto its mission. And toward the tail end of uh, his description, the tour bus driver, who, um, again, the name slips and I do apologize, uh, basically gave all the statistics on the Saturn V, which I'm not going to go through here. Let's just say they're all impressive, and most of this audience probably already knows them by heart. But it was the conclusion that he reached that I thought was rather stunning. He ended his presentation saying something similar, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, that the launch vehicle out there on the launch pad was far more than just a moon rocket that it was poised and ready to do whatever mission that this nation decided that it wanted to execute in spaceflight. And he said it was ready to do so for years to come, meaning this was going to be an extraordinarily long-term investment. It was not going to be simply just for the Apollo program. And, uh, <laughs> wow, if we only knew. Here we are some almost 50 years later trying to regain that capability back. Uh, we're on the cusp of doing so. Uh, and uh, we will see what we can do with it. And hopefully we will not make the same mistake twice. Hopefully we will be wiser with the investments we are making now. And hopefully the new launch vehicle, the Space Launch System, and uh, the others uh, that the commercial folks are designing, such as Starship and Falcon Heavy and um, the United Launch Alliance Vulcan, uh, the uh, Northrop Grumman uh, Omega and others, uh, that are waiting in the wings will take this nation forward and uh, we will not need to go ahead and uh, have to go back some 50 years 
hints and try to redesign the capability that uh, we once had. Hopefully we'll learn our lessons. With that, I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to us again. Um, we're back, kind of, sort of. Uh, we will be back with another installment next time. I'm, I've got something cooking in, in the wings, and hopefully we'll be back with the rest of the gang at some point. But uh, thank you for your patience, and uh, I'll go into some of the specifics as to why we we uh, we kind of terminated calm for a little bit. But uh, we will we will endeavor to uh, to be back and uh, and talking about what is transpiring in in spaceflight today, because a lot has occurred uh, in between our uh, our hiatus, and uh, we're going to get back to that. So again, this is Gene McCulker for Talking Space. Really do appreciate your listening. Thanks. Thank you.